Hello, and welcome to this episode of Her Music Academia, the podcast. I'm your host, Lydia Bangura. On the show, I talk all things music. I talk a lot about my own experiences in music research. I'm currently a music PhD student enrolled at the University of Michigan. I mainly do research on Black Americans in classical music because I'm a Black person in classical music. And I also talk about my experiences in opera performance. And finally, I have other musicians on the show to talk about what they do in music. We have a great time. On the show today, y'all, we have a whole doozy. You're going to need to get yourself a stiff beverage, (laughs) get comfortable. It's a long one because there's a ton to cover. Today, I invite Anna Rose Nelson back on the show. She was on the show about a year and a half ago to talk about her research, her dissertation on modernist and postmodernist music. I will put the link to that in the show notes so you can go back and listen to that if you want to hear a bit more about the work that she does, about her musical upbringing. Today, she comes back on the show to help me tackle the current situation going on at the University of Michigan, where we both attend. As you can see from the title of the episode, it is a strike. Grad student workers at the University of Michigan have voted to authorize a work stoppage, a strike, and that strike began as of March 29th, 2023. There's truly so much happening here. There's so much history here. We dive into kind of the situation that happened back in 2020, which was the the last time that the grad union went on strike in the very recent past. So we talk about those proceedings up to uh, the bargaining that happened this year that has led up to this moment and what we can expect to happen in the future. So if you came for the Michigan tea, honey, oh, it's a messy pot of tea. (laughs) Without further ado, here's our conversation. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the podcast. And when I say special, like I know I say it every week, but like I mean it, like I mean it. This is the episode, people. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, We are about to give you all of the Michigan tea, all of the union tea. There's so much happening and there's no better person to talk with me about it than the soon-to-be doctor herself, Anna Rose Nelson. Anna, how are you? I am, you know, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm very um, exhausted because as you may have gathered from our socials, um, there's a lot going on here at Michigan. So I'm excited to talk about it. And let me tell you, it's very, um, what's the word? Exhilarating? That it is. It feels like I, yes, am exhausted, but also like I've had like a quad shot of espresso, like at all times. Like, (laughs) right, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's so much to be both sort of scared of because this is a scary situation that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. But it's also so life affirming to see all these people who you don't even know uh you know stand up for you and you're there to stand up for them it really is just sort of warm fuzzies times 20 you know yes absolutely i agree before we move further i just want to get it on the record uh for u of m that is snooping on this podcast right now first of all (laughs) this podcast is absolutely not an attestation that either anna rose or i are on strike uh you can prove nothing 
we have no comment about that. So U of M, take your nose somewhere else. Listen to a different podcast. Yep. <laughs> You're not going to find anything. Uh, so we can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny um, that we are or are not on strike. It's none of your business, Michigan. Thank you. So. <laughs> together, Michigan. Find something better to do. do. <laughs> <laughs> like paying your workers. Do that. So. Right, right, right. So, you know, <laughs> let me just get that disclaimer out of the way uh, for legal reasons. So. Yes. <laughs> first, first of all, before we get into um, all of the strike stuff, which again, we're just going to be kind of giving uh, you, the listener, kind of the rundown of the situation. So think of us as your your friendly news anchors that are having an alcoholic beverage, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to, to give you all of the information that you need to know uh, about, about GEO Strike. So first, before we get to that, let's just do a check-in with Anna. If you have not listened to Anna's episode of the podcast, uh, we recorded that about a year and a half ago now. That's crazy. Um, uh, and it was about Anna's research on modernist music and postmodern music. Uh, and so, yeah, the listeners, they're dying to know all about your dissertation and how it's wrapping up. It's about to be done. It's about to be done, folks. Can I get an amen? I am very, very close to being finished. So the situation is the university offers an extension of the winter term, which is the second term of the year, what a lot of people call the spring term, um, for dissertations specifically. So I'll be defending the dissertation over the summer, Mm -hmm. and my degree will be conferred in August, and then I'll be a doctor. (laughs) The research is actually going pretty well. You know, I, um, I have conducted most of the research that I need in order to finish the dissertation. Now it's just a matter of writing it up, mm-hmm. which is a whole, you know, exercise in itself. Yeah. But I will say I've got three chapters out of four neatly done. Mm-hmm. And I have started officially, which felt very big to me, putting all of my prose and my bibliography and my footnotes into the official dissertation doc. Yes. So that feels like a big step to me. Come on. Um, so we'll see. I I just have to finish up that fourth chapter. And I'll say the fourth chapter is on Brian Fernihoe, which we talked a little bit about in the last podcast episode. But that's the research I came to the dissertation to, like it, it or rather with. I came to the dissertation with. It was all basically finished already. Mm. So I just sort of compile and organize and make the argument but all the d- research is done it was actually finished in summer of 2019 so i just gotta sit down and focus and do it and then i'll be a doctor <laughs> listeners hire her we live it's so exciting it's so exciting yeah what do you feel like has been give us like the highs and lows of the process like what do you feel like has been positive or illuminating in the process of writing? And what do you feel like has been like really difficult? Yeah, the writing process itself, I think is a high and low every day, mm. honestly. <laughs> I, um, it, it kind of depends. Now writing, as one of our mentors, Renee Roosh has always told us, is not always just 
putting letters into the blank word document. Sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's sketching really rough notes to organize your arguments. Sometimes it's editing, yeah. sometimes it's other people editing your work. So you're always doing that. You know, you're doing that, you know, six hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, but there are just some days where it, it doesn't line up, it doesn't click, it doesn't work, you know? And those days can be so demoralizing because, you know, for whatever reason, you weren't able to be your most productive self and you thought you had it, you know, you thought you were making progress and, uh, you know, you were going to finish this on time and you were going to be able to send something really great. And then it just didn't work mm -hmm. that day. And that can just be such a blow. But then other days, if you find sort of your groove, or honestly, for me, my best ideas come in the shower for whatever. Reason. Oh, sure. And when you have those ideas, it's like, oh, I remember why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's those moments where you remember sort of like on a zoomed out scale why you're writing the dissertation you're writing that motivate you into doing this stuff again. And th those are the best days. Yeah. As far as the whole dissertation process has gone, not just writing, um, I don't know if you've heard, but like three years ago or so, we got hit with this really weird thing, <laughs> like this um, thing that like shut down the whole world. I think world. they call it a panini. I think that's the technical term. <laughs> is the panini still happening? <laughs> the panorama? Is that what they... <laughs> <laughs> is it Pandora? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, I mean... You know, I had just recently made a switch to an advisor who, you know, I absolutely adore and her work is so inspiring to me, but her work is sketch study, meaning that you're looking at pre-compositional materials in archives to like figure out what the composer was thinking. And almost all of the composers that I look at in my dissertation, their pre-compositional materials, their sketches exist at one particular archive in Switzerland that doesn't allow you to take scans, let alone it won't send scans. Mm. It was probably a year where my advisor and I were going back and forth on, you know, should I change the scope of the dissertation or is this just going to be over soon? Like, can I get over there sooner? Should I change? Shouldn't I change? And that definitely, you know, messed me up for quite a year not that the panini didn't mess me up just sort of generally right general principle but that was sort of a tough thing but i think overall writing a dissertation can be a really life-affirming experience because you've gone through so much effing school yeah <laughs> and then you're writing something that's only yours mm. you know you're not just writing up a report on an article you read you're not just writing up a an analysis of a piece somebody else wrote you're doing the thing you're putting your stamp out there yeah so that's that's been sort of the thing that's been getting me through and then of course the just it's going to be done soon work toward that yes yes <laughs> almost done. listeners hire her i know you're listening hire her deans i'd be a really great hire period <laughs> <laughs> okay well thank thank you for that update and and for those words mm -hmm. about the process um let's get into uh before we talk about kind of the current situation that's happening at michigan uh 
let's talk about kind of your personal history. Again, listeners, you can go back and listen to uh, Anna's first episode if you want to know more about her personal background with music, her musical upbringing, all of that stuff we covered there. Um, so I'd love to know, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show in particular, other than, you know, being my bestie, is... <laughs> You know, because you have uh, kind of a longer history uh, with the GEO. So GEO uh, stands for Graduate Employee Organization. Uh, Yeah, so we'll be referring to it as GEO or GEO. Uh, and uh, that's the grad student union on campus. Uh, and so you have a history with GEO organizing there. And so I just want to uh, hear kind of a bit about your history with the organization and how you got started organizing in the grad union. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, GEO, Graduate Employees Organization, and we're not the only one. There are a few other GEOs. Um, So we're local 3550. Go to geo3550.org to learn more. And we are in an organization of graduate employees that include GSIs, which are graduate student instructors, and GSSAs, which are graduate student staff assistants. One group of grad workers we don't represent are graduate student research assistants, GSRAs, because Michigan law doesn't allow them to unionize. So that's a bummer. Our parent organization is AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. So essentially, we're a teacher's organization or a teacher's union. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I became a steward for the School of Music, Theater and Dance in 2017, I think. So a steward is a person who goes to stewards meetings. So this is meetings with all the other stewards of all the other departments on campus and higher up GEO leadership, union leadership, like the president, like the secretary, like the whatever caucus, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I took this over from a friend of mine. His name is Steve Lett. Steve just posted a really interesting article about the SMT in case any theorists are interested in reading it in uh, Spectrum. I might suggest it. (laughs) Um, But so he was the steward for many years and the School of Music, Theater and Dance, for whatever reason, it's sort of a mystery to everyone involved, is categorized by our school not as a school with many departments but rather as a department Mm. so there are supposed to be we like it to be that there's approximately one steward per 10 graduate students in the department and so in our case that's the school of music theater and dance smtd for 2017 through 2023 there was one steward that's me for 120 graduate students Mm. (laughs) so you know that's a little rough there's reasons for that that i suppose i could get into but um when i took over the job it was because steve had become treasurer of the union and so he needed somebody to take over his steward roles because he was taking on another role in the union and he said to me Anna, it's super easy and there's not enough work. And Steve, if you're listening, you're a liar. Get him. Get him. Straight up liar. There's a lot of work involved. But so I've been the steward for many years and um, my job is not only to bring 
information from the central organizational units of the GEO to SMTD and then vice versa to bring issues that SMTD graduate employees bring to me so that I can talk to union leadership and talk about ways to work through them. Mm -hmm. It's also my job to make sure that all of the graduate student employees at SMTD are taken care of and not being, you know, their hours aren't being abused, the contract is being followed, so on and so on and so on. And I'll tell you that's been hard because the just the way that performing arts education is structured is such that the power dynamic between student and advisor is so um, imbalanced, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you have somebody who's just really great and is able to help you with everything that you'll ever need. And sometimes that's not okay, Mm. right? Sometimes your primary instructor slash studio teacher is also in charge of your employment is also the chair of the department is also in charge of uh bringing in students right and once one person holds that much power over you making any sort of complaint at all even if it's something very small like i'm working too many hours for my calculation for my employment rate it's something that smtd people can't do as freely as elsewhere. So it's been a very difficult um, job to have just because, you know, you really have to be careful navigating those power dynamics. Mm -hmm. Then just this year, um, I've been working remotely. I moved to my hometown to finish up the dissertation just because I sort of, I wanted to. Um, So I've been working remotely while this is all happening. And so I've joined the bargaining team, which is the people who face HR bargaining table every week. Godspeed. It is an exercise in restraint. Thoughts and prayers for Anna. Thoughts and prayers. (laughs) But it's also, you know, it's doing what we're trained to do, which is do research on issues and put together, you know, convincing arguments. Um, Not that those convincing arguments are making much um, impact on HR, uh, but we're doing it and that's what we're trained to do. So I feel like I'm at least contributing as much as I can. So that's what I've been doing. Steward for a long time and now member of the bargaining team. Period. We love it. Yeah. And thank you so much for your work that literally all of the graduate students at Michigan get to benefit from. Um, So... I'd love to talk about kind of setting the stage for the current climate at Michigan and what's been going on this year. So I remember when I had applied to Michigan and I was going through the interview process and speaking to current graduate students about their experiences and, you know, speaking to faculty, all that stuff and and deciding whether I wanted to come to Michigan. I remember speaking with a particular grad student who, you know, we just had a regular Zoom meeting. I was like, how has your time at the university been? You know, we're chatting. And they were like, oh, yeah, and we were on strike last semester. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, more. yeah, we were, we, you know, we just had this big strike because of the pandemic, because of the, the working conditions of, of grad students during the pandemic. And as a prospective student, I was like, yikes, what? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, obviously decisions were made. I'm here. I don't regret my decision to come to Michigan, but it was kind of this, this omen (laughs) 
of like, hmm. So I'd love to hear about your experience during the 2020 strike and uh, just give a little context for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So one thing I think is important to know as it leads up to the 2020 strike is that the way that our employment works is we get in an, a contract, all graduate student instructors, GSIs and graduate student staff assistants, GSSAs, get a contract, sign a contract with the university that's bargained over, and that contract lasts three years. Mm -hmm. So we sign the contract and it lasts three years, and in that last year we are bargaining the new one. So that's where we're at currently. We're at the end of our contract's life cycle and we're bargaining for a new one. In 2020, we were at the beginning of the contract's life cycle. Mm -hmm. So in, you know, the last semester of the school year 2019 to 2020 we had been ramping up like this as we're currently doing in preparation for constructing a new contract with the university and then this whole thing happened (laughs) and so what we did you know we sort of looked at where we were at at the bargaining table which was much farther than we are currently Um, even though it was in March when we made this decision, we made the decision to sign the contract somewhat early. Usually the contract doesn't expire until May, but we signed the contract in March. And what that allowed us to do is to be one of the only units on campus to win any raises at all during 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. So essentially we just like, uh, we, we, grabbed on to the moment that we had, we seized the moment that we had and took what we could. Now it was like, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was approximately 3% raises over three years, each 3%, 3%, 3%, something like that. So not very much, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not that much, but it was a raise that nobody else got Mm. because we just decided to make that decision. Now, so then the end of that semester happens, we've signed our contract. And the summer goes by and the pandemic is raging and we get, you know, some of our members start getting emails like looking forward to seeing you teaching your classes in person in September. You know, like looking forward to seeing you teaching this, you know, 200 person lecture in person in September. That's a no. Nope. No. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you, international graduate student who we sent home mm. in, summer, mm. in September. And so many people just like couldn't like Leave. straight up. Yeah. Here. Right. And so what ended up happening was we were looking at the plans that the university had, or rather the plans that the university didn't have mm. to protect graduate employees and the other employees on campus. And we said, you know, this is not acceptable to our members. You know, most of our members are not willing to be teaching in person. Yeah. Uh, at this moment, there's no vaccines this available. Way before va- vaccines, yeah. Like I, I am not willing to put myself in danger or my mother, who I care for, in danger to teach. You know, physics 101. I'm just that the the cost here is not enough. Yeah. And so we went on strike in 2020 and I'll say, I think it was again, a really life affirming experience. It was really um, great to see how many people were willing to put themselves possibly in harm's way 
to protect other people who needed it. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that we also had in our sort of strike for graduate worker safety, most of our um, planks or our platform was about COVID, mm -hmm. right? We're not going to be allowing the university to treat us as disposable. Yeah. Because you need us to teach. There was also another half of the platform that dealt with uh, policing and how the ways that policing was putting members in uh, jeopardy. So I'll give an example. Specifically, there were all of these policies that the university had in place for undergraduates, not for graduates or graduate student or graduate student employees, but rather for undergraduates, especially those living on campus in either campus housing or in, you know, frat houses or whatever it might be. And they had all of these policies about how many people can get together, you know, so on and so on. And what they did to enforce these policies was to not only hire many, 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 many more armed <laughs> police officers to like roam the streets yeah. to make sure that undergraduates were following these policies, but they also hired undergraduates to like act as spies. Yeah, to like snitch. Yeah. Right. So we were, you know, we weren't cool with it, right? Mm -hmm. So we put that on the platform and we went on strike in, I mean, heck, September, maybe October of 2020. Yeah. Now that went on for mm, two and a half weeks, three weeks, something like that. Um, and there was, as there is in any large organization job action, a lot of disagreement about the ways to do this strike, about what we should be striking over, about how we should be responding to the ways that the university is doing things um, in retaliation of our strike. And then we had been bargaining with the university. Now it's not bargaining for a contract. It's something that's called um, impact bargaining. There's a, a factor, this thing, this pandemic that is impacting our uh, employment situation. Yeah. So that's impact bargaining. So we'd been bargaining with the university for a while on all of these issues. And then the former <laughs> president Schlissel. Yikes. Yikes. Boo. Links in the show notes, listeners. Links in the show yeah. notes. Lonely M. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. If you want to read some uh, some more tea, <laughs> like that. Um, so anyway, former President Schlissel files an injunction against us, Boo. which is boo and hiss and shame. Essentially, what an injunction is, is a request for a judge to order striking workers back to work. And if that injunction passes, if the judge says, yes, these workers have to go back to work, what that could mean is that the organization, in our case, GEO, is financially responsible for any quote unquote damages that are not working could cost the university mm -hmm. right now one thing we, i don't think we were adequately prepared in 2020 for this move um mm. for this injunction to be filed and essentially what happened was the day that the injunction got filed we folded mm. Um, and I don't want to say that that was necessarily the wrong move because we had 
one of these like four hour long, very emotional GMMs over Zoom. And there were 700 people on this Zoom call and it was very intense. And there were a lot of really good arguments made. But the thing I'll say about it is that just because the injunction is filed doesn't mean that the injunction passes. Further, there's a number of days in between the injunction being filed and the injunction even hitting a judge's desk. So we would have had those days to keep striking and keep building our power. Um, But, you know, it's a a scary situation uh, and people's livelihoods are on the line. So I I don't want to say that we did the wrong thing in 2020 necessarily. But one thing that has happened is we've learned a lot from what happened in 2020. I'll also say, just like, hey, coincidentally, weird, um, (laughs) after we folded our strike, not much changed immediately. But then the following semester, the university implemented almost all of our COVID policies, just sort of like, oh, random, they had thought of that on their own. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) So we had done all this research for the university, and then um, they took credit for our work. Mm. Cool. That's right, listeners. Take a good long sip of your wine. It's we're getting into it. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was kind of the situation there. And that was kind of the climate that I was entering into when I started in fall of 2021. So this is a year after is when I started at the university. So that was the beginning of the this current contract cycle so now fast forward a couple years now in this year 2022 through uh 2023 we are at the end of our current contract now so let's talk about the bargaining uh leading up to this current moment in time uh and we started the bargaining in like november something like that i mean that's technically correct but um also practically not correct for reasons I'll talk about. Okay. <laughs> talk off HR. <laughs> uh-huh. So yes. So we're in the last academic year of our contract. And it's this year where we put together all of our proposals. We've lived two years in the contract that we signed mm-hmm. and we are acknowledging the, you know, the shortcomings of that proposal, sure. the proposals that made it into the 2020 through 2023 contract. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, and, again, we couldn't account for the pandemic. So, yeah. Right, right. And so there are a lot of proposals that have been put on the table. Um, actually, in fact, there are 53 proposals Woo! on the table. Mm. Yeah. And some of them are pretty small, mm-hmm. right? Some of them are proposals like, how many bulletin boards for GEO stuff can be posted in each building? You know, <laughs> little stuff like that. Um, can graduate student instructors print on certain printers? Mm. You know, little stuff like that. But then there's also stuff along the lines of what's our raise going to look like? Yeah. So the raise is, of course, probably the most um, hmm, controversial, strangely a proposal that we have on the table. But basically the situation is when we signed our contract in 2020, a little earlier than we had anticipated because of the, you know, the thing, um, we signed with 3% raises, again, approximately, I'm not remembering the exact numbers. 
over the course of the three-year contract, our the discrepancy between our stipend and the cost of living has tripled. Yeah. Because of the pandemic, because of inflation, mm-hmm. because of uh, you know, predatory landlords in Ann Arbor. Yep. So our compensation ask is significantly higher than it has been in previous contract cycles. But again, it's because the situation is different. Unprecedented times. There you go. Call for unprecedented measures. So we've put together all of this research and I can tell you that, you know, hundreds of graduate students who are not paid to do this work put in hundreds, if not thousands of hours researching these 53 proposals and writing up legal language, which is, you know, barf, (laughs) to try and put into this contract. Mm -hmm. And, um, We began our bargaining in November, middle of November, 2022. The first few days of bargaining, which are Fridays, nine to five. Um, The first few days of that, the first few weeks of that were us presenting our proposals, like in, you know, nice put together slideshows for management saying, here's what we're proposing. Here's our research. Here's a testimonial that applies to this, so on and so on. And then HR walked out of the room. So to give you some context on that, basically what we're saying is that, or rather what the university decided was unacceptable to them was the way that GEO decided to represent itself. So we're talking now about a law called PERA, P-E-R-A, that talks about unionized workers. I think it's specifically in Michigan, but I think there's PERA laws everywhere. Um, but basically it says that the university, or sorry, rather the union, woof, the union has the ability to choose its mode of representation at the bargaining table. And what we decided was we want our typical bargaining team, you know, 10 to 20 people who have, you know, deep, intimate knowledge on these issues. But we also want the membership and other graduate workers for whom this contract directly applies to their everyday life to be able to at least witness what happens at the bargaining table. So this is what's called open and bargaining. It would be grads being able to see what's happening, to see their future being argued about, Mm -hmm. right? The university walked out um, and said that that was unacceptable to them. And then they called in a mediator, a state mediator, to argue about this, which is very unusual. Usually state mediators come in at the very end of bargaining to talk about, um, you know, particular aspects, usually financial ones that one can't come to an agreement on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They brought in the state mediator within the first few weeks of bargaining to say, you know, we don't want open bargaining. It took them six weeks to come to the table. So they wasted six weeks six weeks i can't stress it enough six weeks Mm. saying i don't want people watching me now part of me wonders why Mm. why don't you want people watching you we're not you know as we enter we've since won this open bargaining we've since won this fight um thanks to some picketing of some um pretty important money making ceremonies we did a bunch of picketing and after those pickets were finished we won this open bargaining situation 
But the question becomes, you know, why were you fighting so hard against just graduate students sitting silently watching you talk about them? Yeah. What do you want them to hear? Yep. You know? So anyway, it was um, strangely <clears throat> January 6th when they returned to the table. Yikes. Oh, listeners. Mm -hmm. It's all coming you know? together. Write it down. Somebody I... has like a board <laughs> with red string tying all this together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So January 6th, they returned to the table. Mm. I'm not going to a definitive statement about what I think about that. Right. Michigan, mind your business. Uh, Continue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so they returned to the table, and since then, basically what has happened is uh, we've reached some TAs, which are tentative agreements, on little small things. I mentioned the things like bulletin boards. We've reached an agreement on that. Go us. <laughs> <laughs> we've reached an agreement about how many physical copies of the contract will be printed. LOL. <laughs> right. Uh, but so that was the first like <laughs> number of weeks yeah. after they turned to the table. Yeah. And one thing that was happening that I think really is driving this current um, job action is that for many of the more substantive proposals, many of the things that actually affect somebody's day-to-day -day life, all they were doing was receiving our proposal saying, thank you for proposal no questions asked and then handing it back to us in a counter proposal deleted struck just a blanket no and so this is really frustrating for us because again we've poured hours and hours yeah. of research stuff people have given us testimonials that are just heartbreaking testimonials about the ways that they just can't make ends meet on their current agreement um and the university just says no. Mm. Yeah, not even a counter proposal, like not even anything yeah, productive. No. Right. No language, uh, no ways to try and like, you know, take our main concerns or the problem that we're trying to solve with our language and like give us something different. It was weeks of this, just blanket no's. Mm. So the other thing that has caused people a lot of um anger mm -hmm. <laughs> is the way that they're approaching our compensation proposals mm -hmm. so for a little bit of background just on the compensation proposal as it was originally formulated as i mentioned earlier between 2020 and now 2023 the disparity between our current stipend and the cost of living according to the mit calculator has tripled yep so what we're doing is we're fighting for a raise that would bring us up to the cost of living in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. That's it. And it is going to sound like a large increase. It's 60% increase from where we started. But that's not us being greedy. The way to think about that is instead, why would it cost 60% mm -hmm. to get us to a living wage? What does that tell you? that tells you how far below the living wage we were. Mm. So we've cost, we passed this compensation proposal across the table. Um, management is stunned. <laughs> <laughs> how dare these graduate students ask for a living wage from me? Yeah. How dare they? 
Um, just as a side anecdote, I remember in the 2019-2020 proposal, we asked for a 75% of living wage. Wow. And they called that pie in the sky. That's a direct quote. Hmm. <laughs> so, so HR received our proposal for a living wage. They were shocked. They came back to us with, instead of a 60% raise, a 2% raise. Boo, hiss, tomato. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. 2%. I, I need a shot. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's less than the raise that we got in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. What? Now, what they did was, to be fair, 2%, 2%, 2% across each of the three years of the contract. So that equates to a little bit like over 6%. Over there's three math. years, yeah. Right, there's math going into that and I don't understand any of that. But So basically what they're saying is you're asking for a 60% raise that would bring you to the cost of living. I'm going to offer you 2%. And that just, it's insulting. Yeah. And then at one point, you know, we passed across our 60% raise again, our cost of living raise again. They gave us 3% mm. and said, it's movement. Blink, blink. And so basically what we've been saying at the table is, listen, 2%, 3%, even 5%, which is their most recent counterproposal for only the first year, yep. 5% is the raise over the three years. Um, the cost of inflation it's 6%. So what you're saying to us is you're going to give us a quote unquote raise because the number gets higher, but our buying power with that dollar is it's less. Yeah. You're, you're essentially offering us an effective pay cut. Yep. Really cool. So anyway, this brings us to bargaining at the table has been basically stalled because we just, you know, we keep trying and trying and trying to explain to them that the proposals that we crossed are trying to address real problems. Yeah. A lot of them, I'll tell you, there's one member of the bargaining team, her name is Rhiannon, and she's sort of um, bottom lining the uh, trans health proposals. Mm -hmm. And Rhiannon is just... <sighs> Number one, she's always so informed. She's got all of these uh, graphics and she's got all of this research mm -hmm. and she knows the names of all of the procedures and she's talked to people who have dealt with the insurance stuff and that's all just amazing. Mm -hmm. But she's also just like, the university is basically asking her to perform her own trauma yeah. to like validate these things that we're asking for um, and say like, oh, well, I'm not sure if anybody really needs this stuff. And so she tells her own personal experience and it's it's completely in my mind. I mean, it's very brave on her part and I, I commend her. She She's one of the braver people I know, but like she shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. We've told you it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And then even after she goes through this trauma again they come back and say no yeah you know so it's like if if hours of research is not going to sway you if uh 
convincing argument is not going to sway you, if airtight legal arguments are not going to sway you, if heart-wrenching personal anecdotes are not going to sway you, what is? Yeah. That's why, why we're at a strike. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, so um, in regards to bargaining, definitely, yes, one of the biggest things on the docket is uh, the 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 ra- the wage uh, increase and the raise, but we are also bargaining for things like um, increased trans health care. We're arguing for um, a nonviolent police response on campus, right, to kind of mitigate the effects of all of these, you know, armed all the armed yeah. police force on campus yeah. and snitches in undergrads, which is just so strange. It's just so, you know, it's definitely more than about just wages. We are talking about people's livelihoods, people's access to care. Um, there's some some stuff around um, uh, child care for parents, yeah. uh, for, for grad students that have dependents. Um, so there's a lot going on um, on the table. And truly, the university has been really unreasonable uh, in dealing with all of these issues. Um, so I agree that it's kind of like, if, if all of these ways of trying to convince the university to see where we're coming from, the research and the personal testimonials. Um, If none of that is going to sway you, then it is going to take some extreme action. So that's where, um, you know, that's where the strike comes into play. So um, I also want to mention, you know, that about a week and a half ago now, the university made the baffling decision listeners i cannot stress enough it's truly absurd (laughs) this decision is so it's so crazy again links to all of these uh will be in the show notes articles everything links to the geo website everything so if you have further questions just look at the show notes there'll be a buttload of stuff in there uh for you to inform yourself about the situation but um Yes, so uh, about 10 days ago now, um, the university made this decision through Rackham, so through the Rackham Graduate School, so that's the School for Graduate Studies on campus, uh, Rackham announced that uh, as of this coming summer, so as of the summer of 2023, uh, Ann Arbor PhD students are going to be receiving summer funding. Uh, so what this means is it will be an additional, uh, I guess on average, like PhD students make uh, around $12,000 a semester, um, and there will be an additional $12,000 uh, for Ann Arbor PhD students during the summer. Um, so this is unprecedented. Um There are many departments, you know, like the STEM departments that probably don't have that much trouble finding summer funding, summer internships and stuff like that. Uh, But there are departments such as SMTD where it's nearly impossible to get any sort of summer funding. So you're just kind of on your own for like four months out of the year. You get no funding. Um, So in addition to like criminally low wages during the year, you also have to make that stretch into four months of no funding at all. And so Rackham made this 
this announcement that they were going to now be offering um, Ann Arbor PhDs an extra $12,000 in summer funding during the semester. And they put out this statement that had, you know, they were really boasting, like, we're so happy that we could be able to offer um, our graduate students this funding because they do research all year round. They do work for the university all year round. They work on their dissertations all year round. And so they deserve this funding. We want to be able to support them while uh, they are doing this research year round. And so we're so honored and pleased that we could offer our students this funding. Um, So this is problematic for several reasons. I'm gonna let you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll say first that the Rackham plan in itself is not a bad thing. What it does is it addresses the fact that many PhD students in the graduate school in Rackham School don't get guaranteed summer funding. Mm -hmm. And also in the language of this proposal, it says that that's problematic because they can't then earn a living wage. Mm. (laughs) So like, hmm, weird. I'll also say that this this proposal isn't actually new. Mm. Uh, This this from certain sources I've heard, this idea became a spark in 2020. So the Rackham School had been talking about this issue since 2020. But listeners, I'll let you make your own decisions about this. Mm. The FAQ, the like, hey, we're considering this proposal to give Ann Arbor PhD students summer funding. That announcement came out the day we were authorizing a strike vote. Same day. Weird coincidence. I'm not sure. And then it sounded like they were going to be considering this for quite a while. This proposal was going to be under, you know, review for quite a while, but they were able to rush it through the night, the day before we were having a thousand person general membership meeting about whether to call a strike. Mm. I'll let you decide if that's a coincidence or not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So again, I think that this Rackham proposal is not a bad thing in itself. Sure. The two things that it does that are really detrimental to our current organizing Mm -hmm. are A, it leaves out any people who are master students, any people who are PhD students outside of the Rackham Graduate School, Mm -hmm. and at SMTD, it leaves out all of the DMAs. People getting Doctor of Musical Arts, they in many cases have master's degrees, they're in a terminal degree. Mm -hmm. It's, It's, um, technically a part of Rackham Graduate School, but for whatever reason, DMAs are just left out. Yep. Right. So more than a third Mm -hmm. of our bargaining unit, that is the people who are represented by GEO are left out of this proposal. Yep. The second problem is that is an HR problem, really, is that Rackham is the graduate school And the graduate school doesn't deal with our employment, but rather deals with the sort of half of our lives, which are that we are students. Mm -hmm. And so HR's contention is that we can't talk about this Rackham proposal. We can't even mention it because it's a student signed issue, not an employment side issue. And we're at the bargaining table to construct your employment contract. Mm. So this brings in so many problems. From what I understand, 
raises, as outlined in the contract, since like the beginning of GEO in the 70s, I may be wrong on that, but at least as long as I've been here, have been outlined in terms of percentages each year across the whole bargaining unit. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it's always been packaged. um, And there are reasons for that. But now we can't do that. Right, because now this Rackham proposal essentially creates a two-tier wage system. Yep. And if we asked for the same percentage raise increase for people who are now guaranteed twelve thousand extra dollars, this is going to become unwieldy, mm. absurd, not going to work. Yeah. Um, and we have asked, I think, by my last count, nine times. We've asked the lead negotiator nine times to just even discuss the ramifications of this Rackham proposal, and she just says no. So we're sort of stuck floundering trying to figure out, like, how can we now repackage our compensation proposal such that at least everybody gets to a living wage? Yeah. How can we do that? And so, you know, there's a meeting tomorrow night, actually, to talk about this very issue, because at some point we have to address it, Um, even though HR is unwilling, we have to talk about it at some point here. Um, And there are a lot of creative proposals, a lot of creative ideas, it's going to become very complex pretty quickly. But I I just want to underline that in my eyes, (laughs) the issue is not the Rackham proposal itself. Mm. The issue is that HR is being obstinate for whatever reason, question mark, Mm -hmm. to even just talk about it. Sure. They refuse, point blank refuse. And this is really sort of underlining the fact that, you know, a strike is the last, the last option, the last, you know, the most intense action we can take. And everybody wants the strike to end. But we have to deal with this. This compensation proposal is the biggest ask of the university. And the lead negotiator is just not willing to help us construct something that's reasonable. Yeah. So it feels very much like they just sort of like were daring us to go on strike. Mm. You know, that's the way that I'm reading it. Mm. Now, that's my personal opinion. You know, come after me if you want. But... (laughs) Yeah, that's the way I've been reading it. And I've been going to bargaining nine to five every Friday since November. So, Mm. yeah, I mean, again, what is truly baffling about the Rackham decision is, first of all, like you pointed out, there are so many graduate students who are left out because they don't have the official title of PhD. So again, as Anna named, all of the conducting students, all of the composition students, all of the performance students who are all doctoral students who teach, right? Like who are GSIs? So they are teaching for the university, um, but they just don't get that money. And so... um, very, very intentional choice. And again, this affects more than just SMTD, more than just the School of Music, but there are a ton of different humanities programs in particular that are affected by this. Um, and then, yeah, the decision to do it, the timing of it, of course, is uh, listeners. But, you know, it's also, it shows, it really demonstrates because they said that with their chess, we do believe that our graduate students 
deserve summer funding. We believe that they do work for the university all year round, that they're not just doing 20 hours a week for the university. And so we want to compensate them year round because that's what they deserve. So it's like now that you've made this public statement that you also agree that grad students should have a living wage, why would you choose to release a proposal like that and not put it on the bargaining table? Why would you not put it in the contract? Why would you put it through Rackham, who could make the decision at any time to do that and then also feasibly make amendments to it or make the decision to take it away at any time? Like, it's not really secure. They've announced it. Of course, they'd get a lot of heat for taking it back, but they could take it back. Like, they could amend it at any time. It does feel like the, the timing is really particular to where they knew kind of maybe the general vicinity in which the geo would uh, authorize their strike. And so then they maybe have the upper hand in saying, well, we just offered our graduate students all this money and now they went on strike and they're being unreasonable and there's nothing we can do about that. And it's like, but you didn't put it in the contract. Like you could put it (laughs) in the contract so that it's secure for students And they chose not to. It just feels like they want to have control and agency over that money, be able to add amendments if they wanted to. There's nothing stopping them from from adding some sort of amendment to say, oh, well, in order to get the summer funding, you do have to teach a summer class or something like that. It's insane. Yep. And in fact, the language on that particular point is very vague. It doesn't say if the stipend is in the form of a fellowship or if it's in the form of teaching. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think part of the fact, the sorry, part of the reason that that language is so unclear is because it was rushed through. Mm. They probably would have had logical conversations about this if it hadn't been pushed through. Now, I'll also say it's even more nefarious than the unit, or at least a unit of the university saying with their whole chest, grad students work over the summer because they're full-time workers. It's also saying with their chest, we have the money to pay students Period. almost exactly what their compensation demand is. Yes. With the Rackham proposal, the PhDs in Ann Arbor under Rackham's sort of umbrella would be making a little over $36,000 a year. We're asking for $38,000 a year. Yeah. So they're saying not only do we believe that the graduate students work is valuable and this valuable, we believe that they deserve a living wage. Let me show you that we have the we money. We can pay them. <laughs> With right? $17 billion in debt. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and yeah, so that's actually one talking point I'll just uh, sort of address really quickly. The University of Michigan is one of the wealthiest yep. universities in the world. Mm-hmm. Globe. Right. And they have a little over 17 billion with a B in endowment uh, money. Yep. But some donors to that fund, of course, designate their money like I want this to go to a, I don't know, performance wing. I want this to go to a cafeteria or perhaps they said, I want this to go to our new $40 $40 million scoreboard for the big house, mm. which is a whole. Uh, but over $9 billion of that is unrestricted. Mm. So it could be used for whatever. And that's part of the sort of basis for the financial 
proposals that we were striking for in 2020. You've got the money. And if there's not a time to spend it, don't you think it would be during a global pandemic? Mm. Right? Like, what are you hoarding it for? Right? So all this is about the endowment. I'll say, too, we recently heard a um, report by an EMU faculty member. I'll try and find the links to all of that. But the EMU faculty member told us that in his sort of financial assessment of the University of Michigan, graduate student instruction brings the university in excess of $200 million per year. We're asking for less than 10% of that mm. with all of our composite compensation asks. Yeah. All of our economic asks even. So like, you know, where is all this money going? Yeah. Right. Clearly Rackham has access to it because they're willing to give us what we've been asking for. Why is university HR not willing? Mm. It's truly baffling. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yep. It feels yep. like, like you said, a really rushed, hasty proposal. Um, and the university is just making moves that don't logically make sense or line up with what they claim to believe to be true. So it's just a mess of a situation. So all of this leads us to the current moment, which is that on Wednesday, uh, March 29th, 2023, uh, the GEO officially went on strike. There was a vote uh, two days before to authorize the strike for Wednesday, uh, and then it has commenced. So we're talking countless graduate students uh, that have walked out of their classrooms that had said no to doing any sort of teaching, grading, office hours, um, and are really trying to as the university has forced our hand, like you said earlier, there's really nothing else that we can do. They really refuse to, to bargain with us reasonably at the bargaining table. So we just don't have any other options. It does feel like they almost provoked it. Um, and so we're at the point where it has been authorized. And as we're recording this, we're almost a week into it. So uh, it's been a time, again, legally, we cannot... Uh, <laughs> disclose whether either of us individually are on strike you can't get us you have no proof but uh you know we're just here to relay the facts so uh here are the facts so yes uh we're about a week into it how are you holding up i'm freaking tired man <laughs> tired you know as we were mentioning earlier a strike is uh you know any large job action is a scary thing because it's a collective of some of the uh, most contingent and worst treated employees coming up against the full might of the richest, probably most corporatized university, right? We're coming up against a lot of power and boy, the university is pulling its punches early, right? The heavy artillery came out early Mm -hmm. oh, I'll they send a litany of threatening emails. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I'll say that one thing that we have um, going for us during this strike that we didn't have in 2020 was months and months and months of organizing. Yeah. 
because the 2020 strike started at the beginning of the year we just didn't have the same contingent of people on canvas to be or on campus rather <laughs> to be talking to about the issues to be talking to about what they'd feel comfortable with to be talking to about the things that are most important to them yeah. this time we have those months we have that organizing power and lydia's right we had a vote to empower the uh president of the union which is just it's jared he's a great guy yes jared supremacy yes <laughs> jared's great and he you know he's just a graduate student like us he's not paid for any of this mm -hmm. um so this vote authorized him to call a strike or rather you know to have a conversation and then to call a strike and that vote um only went out to currently employed graduate members who were dues paying members Mm -hmm. right to work passed and so our membership had actually plummeted quite a bit after that right to work law mm -hmm. but it's right it's raised in the last couple of years thanks to the panini and um it only went out to that group of people of that group of people 80 percent voted cast a vote yeah. and that's as far as i know at least last i checked the most people who have participated in a vote in GEO's history. Yep. Of that 80%, 95% of the votes were, yes, we should strike. Mm. So the amount of power that we have relative to what we've had in previous job actions is just overwhelmingly more. We're mm. super exciting. Um, and what that tells us is not only are people like me doing our organizing duties well? Not that I'm not, <laughs> but also that people are pissed. People are yeah. really mad. Yeah. They just don't see another way to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, we had a general membership meeting uh, after the strike vote passed to talk about when to start it. Uh, and we started on Wednesday, the whatever, 29th at mm -hmm. 10, a.m. And we had this huge rally. It was, you know, well organized. Thousands of people were there. I mean, at least a thousand, at least that I saw, right? Mm -hmm. It was just overwhelming. We did a picket the next day on North Campus where yeah. union membership is actually quite low. Uh, and it was overwhelming. It was mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. So graduate students are are turning out, you know. I'll also say, as I mentioned earlier, the university has pulled its heavy artillery early on. Um, so for example, one of the things that they can do is um, they can threaten an injunction. So right, I talked about this a little bit earlier, the injunction is the request for the judge to order workers back to work. In 2020, former President Mark Schlissel filed that injunction against us, but that was like two weeks in. Mm. Our new president, Santa Ono, who I had high hopes for, maybe just because he was a cellist. <laughs> my high hopes were dashed <laughs> because he, he filed an injunction with his name on it 24 hours after our strike started. Boo. Boo. Raggedy. Raggedy. Yeah. So the injunction has been filed. The hearings start tomorrow. Um, we'll see what happens, but 
an injunction is a is a, a drastic legal move. Yeah. What it's saying is that the actions of a person or a group have irreparably harmed an employer. And usually it's saved for very, very drastic ex- circumstances. Mm-hmm. We walked out of our classes for less than 24 hours and he filed an injunction. Fucking right. So what does that tell you? Right. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? It tells you, A, that the university is willing to just squash its graduate students at its first opportunity. But it also tells you, hey, maybe our labor is worth a lot. Mm. You know, if you think it's that severe to file an injunction that early, we must mean a lot to you. Maybe show us that in the form of a raise. Period. I mean, there are full departments that cannot run without GSIs. Mm. Right. So truly, the university heavily depends on our labor, Um, you know, in the theory department, uh, which is split into oral skills and written skills. um, The oral skills courses are entirely taught by GSIs, entirely grad students. Um, And so we're we you know, we make up half the classes that undergrads are taking. And so it's a really big deal if we withhold our labor so again there are full departments i mean obviously large departments like english psychology all those 101 classes please all grad students right so thousands and thousands of students are affected if their gsis are suddenly no longer going to class suddenly no longer available for office hours or suddenly not grading and this particular moment in the semester is noteworthy because you know we're only a couple weeks out from the end of the semester we have about two weeks left two weeks left until finals then we have a week of finals and then grades are due so depending on how long the strike persists uh, we could certainly be looking at withholding submitting grades. Right. And that's a huge deal. Yes. People and, can't graduate. Right. And I want to iterate or perhaps reiterate, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I think it's really important to note that I don't know any single GSI or GSSA who says that they're cool with possibly harming their undergrads. Mm. Nobody is saying, you know, F them kids. Yes. <laughs> Nobody is saying we don't care that they're missing out on this, uh, you know, their educational experience. Yeah. But the situation truly is, you know, graduate student workers have their necks under the boot of the university. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can demonstrate our power is to stop teaching and that Mm. directly affects undergrads Mm -hmm. so i'll say that you know nobody wants to withhold grades nobody wants that nobody wants to not be teaching the biggest question that they have is not is the university going to retaliate against me is the university going to take away my wages is the university going to fire me even though those are huge questions to ask the questions are how can i help my undergrads in this moment how can i make sure that my undergrads are okay how can i make sure that they're not you know permanently affected by this and so i think it's really important to explain that our goal here is not to harm any of our students because no one wants that. Yeah. I mean, it's truly despicable. This was part of um, the the 
the threats through email that the university was making before the strike uh, was officially authorized is in one of those emails, you know, administration was kind of pleading with grad students like I, you know, we just can't believe that you would do this to your undergraduates. And you have claimed to teach them and protect them as a part of your contract. And this is a huge violation to your students. Um, and so the claim that we are disregarding their education or their well-being or that we don't care about them, it's so despicable and manipulative. Mm -hmm. It's it's so insulting. Of course we care about our students. Like, but our working conditions are their learning conditions. And so the better off we are as educators, the better off our well-being is, the more that will show up in the classroom and the better experience that they will have. So we will not do our best teaching if we are struggling to pay our rent or struggling to afford groceries or struggling to find accessible health care. Like, those are all things that could be easily solved by the resources of the university that they just continue to ignore and to say and to call us unreasonable. And then on top of that, to add that emotional manipulation of, oh, well, y'all just don't even care about your students. I know. And it's just, you know, obviously the graduate students aren't a monolith. They don't all have the same opinions. But I have never heard one graduate student instructor say, I'm absolutely fine with leaving my graduate my undergraduates right now yeah i'm cool with it nobody has ever nobody said that nobody wants to do this. <laughs> nobody wants to do this speaking for myself i can tell you that although i'm not currently teaching in 2020 my like the thing that was keeping me up nights was not is the university gonna take away my health insurance even though of course that's a huge risk but it's are my students okay you know, am I checking in enough? Am I making clear what's going on? Are they going to be able to move forward? Are, is their, you know, music theory sequence education going to be affected by this? And so I think it's just really frustrating for the university say, to say, oh, you don't care about your undergrads when it's like, um, sorry, now that's, that you? Are you saying that by you? <laughs> You just have a typo, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll also say, if the graduate student instructors are not a monolith, the undergraduates are also not a monolith, right? You know, there's bunches of them. According to the most recent injunction, 47,000 of them are infected, affected by this strike. Mm. <laughs> um, and so not all of them, right, are going to be in favor of this. The people who are not in favor of a strike by their graduate and student instructors are rightly concerned about their overly inflated tuition. Mm. How the university sleeps at night charging undergraduates what they're charging. Yeah. Me. But by and large, graduates, undergraduate students are behind us. Mm -hmm. By and large, undergrads see the work that we do when we tell them what we make, they're appalled. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want the best for their graduate instructors because they see themselves in us. Mm. You know, if they're looking at their instructors 
and they're looking at a GSI and then they're looking at, you know, an 80 year old tenured professor. Not 80. <laughs> <laughs> right. They see themselves more in us. Yeah. We're doing coursework. We're engaging with them. You know, we're trying to learn their lingo. <laughs> to engage Mm -hmm. whereas some of the professors aren't and so the undergrads again i can't make a statement saying that all are behind us but many are yeah that's just you know and again warm fuzzies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then for the university to say oh you're harming them it's sort of like you know what reality are you living in? it's such a slap in the face it's really upsetting um so along the lines of you kind of brought up uh you know, a bit of of criticism, obviously not the whole university community is behind the strike. So let's just get a little bit into some of the criticism that has come against our proposals uh, in GEO that we're bringing to the bargaining table and, uh, you know, ultimately taking the action to uh, strike. Obviously, some people aren't in favor of that. So, you know, something that, you know, a critique that has been floating around that I've been hearing uh, is confusion around uh, the wage increase and why it's such a significant increase. Now, what you brought up earlier, again, what you what you pointed out is the fact that it takes such a significant increase to get us to a living wage is the part that's despicable. Like, that is the part that is revealing as far as how far below poverty wages we have fallen. So, like... Again, the university is claiming to care that uh, PhD students have a living wage, but somehow unable to use that money directly in our bargaining contract and to offer that securely to all graduate students across the board. So that's the thing. But yeah, there's been some confusion around why such a large increase. Um, you know, there are kind of tenured faculty professors or whatever saying, you know, when I was in graduate school, I only made $12,000 a year. So like, y'all should be thankful that you get 24,000 a year. And it's like, okay. (laughs) So let's talk about the context in which you received that $12,000 versus our current context with 24, right? So obviously it depends on the city that you're living in and the context there. But Again, we're talking about massive rates of inflation due to the pandemic. So like it is the, you know, there are past realities that are not comparable to what we are experiencing in the present. Um, And then there's also, you know, kind of a minimizing critique uh, when it comes to the critique of the, the wage increase proposal that all grad students are in the same situation, right? Mm-hmm. That like, well, who, you don't need $38,000 as a grad student because you're just a grad student. Mm-hmm. And so that claim of being just a grad student uh, really minimizes, it's like, we're not all like 23 year old students who can still depend on our middle-class parents for money. Um, many graduate students are married with dependents. Many grad students are taking care of families, taking care of their parents. Many grad students have uh, disabilities and costs that come with that. Many grad students, right, are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. So to say that, um, you know, to minimize grad students to kind of this like limbo of being in between um, 
you know, undergrad where being an undergrad where you're kind of, you know, growing into an adult, you know, not no longer a girl, but not yet a woman status. <laughs> so like not really earning a full living wage. Uh, and then, you know, the separation from grad students as being a part of the adult working world, providing valuable labor um, to the force, like, but we are providing valuable labor. And the university has shown through its actions, our labor is incredibly valuable and affects thousands and thousands of students. It is skilled labor, although I hate to use that term skilled labor because like yeah. labor is labor. <laughs> but like, you know, we, we're providing um, a world-class education at one of the world's richest universities. Like it is incredibly skilled labor in terms of you can't just go out on the street and pluck somebody to be your English professor. You know, we have um, expertise, we have research, we have credentials to be doing what we're doing. So, you know, the minimization of the the labor of graduate students as, oh, you're just graduate students and it's just grad labor. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but we are adults who are in the working world that deserve a living wage, that deserve healthcare, accessible healthcare, that deserve, you know, training on accommodations and disability, that deserve like basic shit that we're bringing to the table, um, but kind of gets uh, degraded because of our status as grad students. So yeah, the, the criticism there is just like, y'all are just crotchety, please, God. <laughs> Yeah, right. So uh, this this uh, concern is brought up primarily on Reddit and anybody who is um, familiar with the university or rather you know, familiar with the Internet <laughs> uh, knows what Reddit is. And I don't feel like I need to say much more about that. But I'll say that, yes, there are some concerns raised about the fact that we're asking for a living wage. And as you mentioned, graduate student does not mean 23 year old able-bodied cisgender mm -hmm. non-married with no dependents that's not what it means mm -hmm. right how many members of our bargaining unit have children yeah. that they have to support on this stipend how many bargaining members are international students mm -hmm right? Who have to pay fees to be here. Mm -hmm. How many people have medical conditions that they have to have treated regularly mm -hmm. that the university is just sort of like, you know, brushing off and saying like, oh, well, you're graduate students. Your life hasn't really started yet. Mm. Let me tell you, I'm 32. When does my life get to start? Yeah. You know, when, when am I with you know, almost a PhD and with a master's degree and with an undergraduate degree and with many years tending bar, you know, like when do I get um, a living wage? Yeah. You know, and I'm in a really, really fortunate position. I'm super privileged among, you know, as compared to the rest of my, the bargaining unit, right? I don't have any dependents. I am currently able-bodied. Right. So I'm not super concerned about these things for myself, but I see my colleagues who are facing these issues. Yeah. And the university is just treating them as if they don't exist. Yeah. You know, 
that's one of the things that's been pissing me off the most at the bargaining table. You know, we're, we're, we're doing all this research, we're explaining the problem. And then the university doesn't say we have no interest in fixing that problem, though, of course, they have said that before. They say, we don't see the problem. Mm. And it's like, look at these people. We're in the room. (laughs) Who are looking at you currently, staring you in the face while you tell them that their reality isn't viable. Yeah. That their reality isn't worth anything to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then as far as the living wage concerns, the other um, main issue that's brought up alongside the fact that graduate students are, you know, don't need all of this extra stuff, which again, isn't true is the fact that most graduate students, I think around 90%, though again, I'm I'm making that number up a little bit, are at what's called a 0.5 fraction, 0.5 TE, mm. meaning yes, full Yes, get into the fractions, tell them. Let me tell you, because <laughs> this has taken up like a decade of my life. Mm. So, so FTE means full-time equivalent, full-time is 40 hours right? Mm -hmm. So if you're at a 0.5 FTE, that means you're working approximately 20 hours, Mm -hmm. half full time. So that's the most common fraction of employment at the University of Michigan. There are reasons for that, not least of which is that any international graduate student, as a condition of their visa, cannot work more than 20 hours. So if you're making a whole bunch of jobs available through the university that international graduate students can't apply for, that's straight up discrimination. Yeah. Right. So most of us are hired at 0.5, meaning that our teaching duties or our GSSA duties take us about 20 hours a week. LOL. (laughs) First of all, let me tell you. Second of all, (laughs) I can tell you that we're not working for the benefit of the university 20 hours a week. Mm. We might be teaching our classes 20 hours a week, sure. But our research directly benefits the university. Our service work directly benefits the university. Our organization work directly benefits the university. So one of the big concerns that people are talking about on Reddit, LOL, is... (laughs) Oh, well, they're only working 50% effort, which is a term that is, um, you know, sticking in my craw a little bit, because I can tell you, I'm working more than 50% of my effort. (laughs) My God, miss me with that shit. Exactly. Um, But basically, that's the situation that we're in. And our other work also directly benefits the university. The other thing to consider here is that a lot of people are talking about the hourly rate mm. that this that our living wage increase would bring us to and they're saying oh well you know if the university starts paying their graduate students 40 dollars an hour i make less than that and that's probably true and that's uh not a uh at the fault of us graduate students yes <laughs> yes but also consider this most people if giving given employment at a 0.5 fraction are not given any other funding of course Mm -hmm. there are some people in stem fields who are given summer funding things like that but most people even at a 0.5 fraction are not given extra money 
by which to reach a living wage. And it does not feel genuine to say to me, oh, you're only putting in 50% effort, mm. which, yeah, come at me with that, I'll be mad. Uh, <laughs> and therefore you, you deserve 50% of a living wage. Yeah. I'm not sitting on a beach sipping a Mai Tai, you know, I'm doing work. Yeah. 40, 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. And it all has the University of Michigan stamped on it. Yeah. You know, and further, 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 further. (laughs) International students who are here on this 0.5 fraction because of the restrictions of their visa Mm -hmm. can't just go get a, you know, get a job at a bar on State Street. Yeah. Make money during the summer. Mm -hmm. They They legally cannot get another job. So, like, the issue of summer funding for humanity students that don't get guaranteed summer funding or get something ridiculous offered, like a $5,000 internship, that is literally all they can make. They legally are not allowed to go and get another job. So for four months out of the year, they're just left hanging and there's lo- there's nothing they can do about that. Yep. So basically our argument here is that every graduate worker, because they're not just putting in 50% effort, (laughs) deserves 100% of a living wage. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the university is calling that unreasonable, it just, you know, barf. And again, for you crotchety listeners who are tenured faculty, the the 80-year-old faculty member that Anna mentioned earlier, we're talking to you. Those of you who are saying, well, when I was in graduate school, I got paid $12,000 and that's just part of the experience that you are supposed to suffer. Take a good long look in the mirror. You don't have to want that. It does not have to be part of the graduate experience that we experience like financial trauma while we're going, that leads to other kinds of trauma in during our degrees we don't have to experience that so the 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 logic of like oh graduate school is just supposed to be hard and you're just supposed to go through this grueling five to seven years where you're suffering financially (laughs) before you enter the working world and adjunct and continue to suffer financially lol it's like you don't you don't have to subscribe to that. You should want it to be better for the people that come after you. Yeah. I mean, I can say, you know, part of me wonders why graduate school is hard as a principle. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody is saying that getting a PhD is easy. Yeah. If if someone had told me that, they would have been lying because <laughs> why. Yeah. But it also doesn't have to require you selling plasma to make rent. Yeah. It also doesn't have to require you putting off dental work until you've got abscesses in your jaw Mm. so that you can afford food. Yeah. Right. Grad school is hard enough as it is. Mm -hmm. um, And we don't have to compare trauma. Like, yes, you know, faculty who went through grad school and they didn't get pay you a living wage. It's not right now. And it wasn't right then. Yeah. It's it's we're not. We're not in a competition here. Yep. What we're going to do is make things better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain undergrads who I think 
reasonably are saying, I am a customer of this university and the graduate students, the graduate student employees, it's their job to provide me with the service that is my Econ 101 class and they sure. should be doing their job. Okay, I, I understand that logic, right? There are also faculty members who are saying, well, um, I don't want to support the graduate students because the administration holds power over me. Mm. That is real. That is true. And I want to say that I acknowledge that reality and I don't want to diminish that reality because it's true, especially people who are junior faculty, who are lecturers, who are not yet tenured, but on tenure track. Administration does hold power. But at the same time, if, if, a, if a faculty member is saying, I think that the graduate students should just sort of take their lot because administration is too powerful for me to say anything in their favor. What that's teaching us, many of us who will be junior faculty members soon, mm -hmm. is that, yeah, I should just let administration step on my neck. Mm. You know, you're, you're modeling that behavior and saying, yeah, administrators, you do hold the power not only over graduate students, but over me. And the more that that happens, the more power administration has. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, unbiased opinion, <laughs> detrimental to an academic atmosphere, right? Mm. And faculty are too scared to speak out on behalf of their graduate students or on behalf of something that they believe in. And administration just says, I have, you know, I can ruin you. Mm. That means that administrators are running this university, that administrators are the ones who are providing the service, not faculty, not yeah. graduates. It's not academics. It's just a product. And I don't, I don't want to be a part of a system like that. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's finish up. We've been talking for a long time. I'm I want sorry. to keep you all night. No, I'm not sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about this in depth. We could start a whole oh. series about this. Of yeah, just covered listeners. Do you is this the, the beginnings of the petition I hear in the background for Anna to come on every week and us to talk about strike news every week? Send me an email, hermusicacademia.gmail.com. But um, let's finish up with, on that note, kind of talking about how um, how community members, how faculty, how undergrads can support GEO during this time. So we have a couple different things set up. There are some FAQs, frequently asked questions um, that I will link to in the show notes. If you have further questions about the strike or about GEO or about what's going on and you want to read more and you want to be informed, I'll put that all in the show notes for you. So you can, you can check out those resources again, very thoughtfully put together. We're really doing the work. Okay, Geo is doing the work. So read those resources if you want to know uh, more. Um, there's also a Geo fund. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, the university has been making threats to uh, striking uh graduate members of the union uh, to withhold wages since they are withholding labor. I mean, it is illegal for us to strike. <laughs> It's against the contract. Um, yeah, and just saying that this is not an attestation form. Nobody here is confirming nor denying whether they are on strike. And we taught her well, period. <laughs> <laughs> you must go somewhere else, listen to a different damn podcast. But, you know, um, 
yes. So again, I can neither confirm nor deny that I am on strike. But uh, yes, so the university has uh, threatened to withhold the wages of striking GEO members who are uh, withholding their labor from the university that breaks the contract. And so then the university is claiming that they are authorized to withhold wages in that case and dock pay. Um, now, so in preparation for that possibility, which again, the onus is on the university to prove that union members are striking. Uh, and so if the university cannot prove that an individual, because they can't bulk withhold wages from like all graduate students, because not all, not every graduate student is striking, certainly. So um, it would be illegal for them to withhold the wages of union members that are not on strike. So they can't just like bulk be like, well, no graduate students getting paid in April because that would be illegal. So they have to individually find countless like over a thousand people <laughs> who may or may not be in their classrooms right now teaching, doing grading, doing office hours, and they have to prove that individuals are on strike in order to withhold those wages. So, you know, it's possible that that might, uh, that that might happen and, and that wages might be withheld and we might have to bargain to get them back and things like that. So in preparation for that, GEO has uh, a strike fund that you can donate to. Give us five of your dollars. I'm going to put it in the show notes, click the link, um, and, you know, help us out in preparation for any sort of retaliation that uh, grad students might receive from the university. So that's one thing uh, that y'all can do to support the graduate students at the University of Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking specifically about the different groups of people who could support us. If you're a community member, that is just somebody who cares about what you're hearing, you can absolutely donate to the strike fund. You can send a message to President Santa Ono. We Get can put him. Get him. Address and say, hey, you're being unreasonable. The graduate students are the ones who are reasonable. Knock it off. Mm -hmm. You could also, um, you know, put it on social media show that like, hey, here's the strike fund or hey, here's the GEO website or hey, here's some of the many uh, uh, posts that GEO has been making on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook to show the larger community, the larger academic community what's happening here at Michigan. If you're a faculty member, you can not cover our labor. Ew, and we hate scabs, no scabs. We don't love scabs. <laughs> And further, uh, and perhaps even more importantly, don't report your graduate students. If you if you tell administrators that your graduate student instructor, your TA, whatever it might be, is on strike, or even if you tell them that they're not on strike, administrators can then, you know, through powers of deduction, choose who's been on strike and who's not and withhold pay. Mm -hmm. So faculty, don't scab and don't snitch. Period. Snitches get stitched. We're watching you. Any of my undergrads that are listening, you know what to do. You yeah. know what to undergrads, do. <laughs> undergrads, that same, uh, that same advice. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, has your GSI been showing up to class? You don't have to answer that. You know, you know. nothing. Nothing. You don't know who I am. <laughs> You've never seen me. I was never here. You know nothing, right? <laughs> so yes, very important uh, because you probably will be asked 
at a point, a direct question, do you know GSIs that are on strike? Give us their names. And you don't have to answer. You can pretend like you haven't seen the email. Very, very important. Again, and also as Anna pointed out, um, even information about who's not on strike is information that they can use. So the less information that the university has about individuals, the better, right? We just don't want them to know anything about the chaos that is going on. (laughs) So yeah, anything that you can do to disrupt and, and to continue to add to the chaos of the wild goose chase that the university has to do in order to pinpoint hundreds or over a thousand graduate students who may or may not be working or on strike, um, that would really, really help us out. So, um, yes. <laughs> Another thing you can do undergrads is join us on the picket line. <gasps> Period. You know what? It's fun. It is fun. It's a great way to, um, you know, talk to people about what is all going on. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that there's a whole account set up for GEO picket crushes. So maybe you'll meet all of your wife on the picket line. You don't know. Further, undergrads, you are the customer. Mm-hmm. You know what? You are the one who is paying the big bucks in tuition, the unreasonable amount of tuition. Yep. Administrators care a lot more about what you have to say than about what we have to say. Mm-hmm. So if you show up on a picket line, you are some of our best allies. Period. Then finally, if you're a graduate student, um, we at GEO, you know, that means you because the union is also you, right? It's not just people who you subscribe a service to, right? The union is all of us. We all recognize that people are in different situations and have, you know, different levels of power by which they can participate in this action. Mm -hmm. So nobody's going to shame you if you have to show up to class one day. Nobody's gonna shame you if you have to submit your final grades for your graduating senior, things like that. Try and hold the line as best as you can. And if you're uncomfortable, contact people, talk to us. Mm -hmm. Show up at general membership meetings, show up at bargaining, Mm -hmm. reach out to your steward, uh, talk to your department to see what your department is doing talk to your graduate student colleagues in similar uh, educational settings, see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Just be in contact. You can also join. There are more committees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This strike is is a a mammoth undertaking. There's more work to be done. If you joined a committee, you would not be bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then finally, I cannot stress this enough. At our general membership meeting, the day that we decided to authorize the strike, um, a thousand people, which is a little less than half of our membership total, um, voted not to fill out those stupid attestation forms. Yes. Okay. So the attestation forms, for context, for the listeners, um, one of the rather empty threats of the university uh, that they have sent to graduate student workers is, uh, you know, this claim that you have to fill out this attestation form in order to get paid. So what this is, is basically um, in order to receive your paycheck, you're going to get like a weekly email um, where they just ask, like, are you on strike? Yes or no? (laughs) 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 Which is so (laughs) embarrassing to me that like, 
the only thing that they could think to come up with in this wild goose chase of having to pinpoint who was on strike and who is not, they were like, let's just ask them <laughs> and like hope they'll be honest. I just don't understand the rationale there. But like, okay, so they're going to send emails to all of the GSIs. You have to verify by filling out this one question questionnaire. Are you on strike? Yes or no. Um, and if you say, yes, I'm on strike, obviously, so if you tell on yourself, or if you don't fill out the form, then they will dock your pay, is what they are claiming to do. Yeah, yep. But that's so ridiculous. Mm. You know, FFT, which is our parent union, the American Federation of Teachers, because we are um, a member of that organization, we have access to their legal counsel. So we've been conferring with AFT's lawyers and as they put it more succinctly than I could, uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Period. Mm, for the people in the back. Yes. So, and further, there's power in numbers. Yeah. Right? There's obviously a threat if you don't fill this out. But if over half of the people don't fill it out with you, you're safe. Yeah. You know? Now, all this is to say there's not a guarantee that the university won't withhold pay. And we have ways to mediate that, not alone the strike fund, right? Um, but just don't fill it out. Don't self-snitch. Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why? And even if you are working, if you're filling it out saying that you are working, then that gives the university more power to say like, oh, well, these 1,000 unfilled out pledges must mean that they're on strike, right? The less information the university has tracking each of us individually, the less power they have and the more power we have to win the contract that we need. The university administration doesn't care one way or the other about you. The union, our collective, cares about you and in numbers through solidarity we're gonna win it so solidarity forever solidarity y'all solidarity <laughs>